Please remain standing. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Jude. The very last book of the Bible is Revelation, right before Revelation, one chapter book of Jude. And if you've been with us on Sunday nights last couple of months, then you know we're preaching through Jude. Uh, I've uh, had some people say, Preacher, it's been bang on. I think it has. I think God's directed us here. And I didn't, I didn't orchestrate that. We were in 1 Peter, then went to 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude. And so, folks, the Lord did this. I didn't do this. Uh, Jude, I'd like us to begin tonight by reading just one verse, verse number 7. Jude, verse number 7. If you could read that with me, let's read it together, reading it out loud. Verse number 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we're thankful for so many that are here. I know that some of our folks aren't. I know that some are home dealing with sickness, others are away. And Lord, as always, we pray administer their hearts, those that couldn't come but would like to. But Lord, I sure thank you for these that have come. And I pray as we continue in the book of Jude, it's all a warning. And it's a warning to help we in, uh, individually and we as members of a church to stay on track, love God, keep our eyes on God, not be persuaded to take a different road. Help us as we continue on that thought tonight. Direct my words, fill me with your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know that the whole book of Jude is a warning against apostasy. Pastor, what is apostasy? It's a turning away from the faith. It's not an accident that Jude, though it wasn't the second last book written, it is located in the second last position of our Bible. The book of Revelation talks about the Lord coming back. And the book of Jude is a warning of what will happen on this earth before the Lord comes back. We know that, uh, look there if you would, in verse number 3. Jude writes, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Jude was planning to write a letter about how good it is to be saved. And folks, it is good. And yet, as he was about to write that, God changed his subject. Again, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why would they have to contend for it? Well, in verse 4, he tells us why. Look there in verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares, that's secretly, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen it before. But this is a warning that in churches, local churches, that are going great guns for God, that there will be those that work their way into those churches that tried to turn that church from the direction that it has been going. And what they're trying to do is get them to take another path. 
that path isn't a better path. In fact, at the end of the path uh, that uh, these would like to take them, look at the end of verse 4, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice where Lord is found in front of both of those uh, terms. The Lordship of God in our lives and the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives, the evidence of that is when you and I say, God, what would you like me to do? That means God's the Lord of your life. Jesus Christ, what would you have me do? That's the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the end of this new way that Jude warns that in every church there will be an attempt to take the church that new way. It'll be a denial of the Lordship of God. They will still give lip service to God. They will still sing songs about God. They will still give testimony about Jesus Christ who saved them. But when the, uh, I was going to say, when the rubber meets the road, when God tells those people to do something, they're going to say, God, I'm going to do what I want to do. And Judah's saying that kind of a persuasion is going to make, it in, make its way into local churches, and you have to earnestly contend against that. Jude says, God's going to judge them for it. But you don't want to be a casualty before God judges them for it. And notice again in verse number four. Verse number, uh, end of verse three, rather, uh, contend, earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. Folks, the things that our church does, we didn't go in a back room in a restaurant 30 years ago and say, let's, let's come up with some great things that a church should stand for. Uh, let's stand for the old-fashioned Bible, and let's stand for the old-fashioned salvation by Jesus alone, and let's stand for the old-fashioned idea of the Trinity. Let's stand for the belief in heaven. And, folks, we, what we do in this church it wasn't just put together 30, 40 years ago in the back room of a restaurant somewhere by people that had a plan, let's start a church. This faith that we stand for was once delivered unto the saints. We're just continuing a long history of old-fashioned churches. It wasn't created in a back room. Incidentally, it won't be changed in a back room either because that's exactly what these who creep into a church want to do. They want to secretly change the way old-fashioned churches do it. And uh, Jude says, when that happens, God will judge them for it. But you need to earnestly contend for the faith so that you don't be a casualty of their agenda. Now, I think Jude had good sense. As soon as he said that God will judge some believers for this manipulation attempt, Jude know that, knew that some would say, oh no, they're saved. God's not going to judge saved people. God's not going to judge believing people. And Jude, knowing that that objection would be raised, 
Jude reaches back into the Old Testament and he finds three Old Testament examples of where there was a people that was blessed greatly by God. And yet somewhere in the process of those people's lives, they refused to let the Lord be the Lord of their life. And God judged them for it. So what Jude is saying about this potential judgment of these that want to creep in, he said God has always done that. The first example is verse 5. He said the nation of Israel that God saved from Egypt. Afterward, those very same Jews made some bad choices and God had to judge his chosen nation. That's the first example. Second example we saw last time, which was two weeks ago when I preached, the second example is the angels. Folks, we have no idea how wonderful it must have been when God created the angels up in heaven. They were in the very presence of God. They enjoyed the pleasure of God. One day, a voice raised up in heaven. It was Lucifer. And Lucifer began to whisper into the ears of those angels, you could have it better if God wasn't your Lord. You could have it so much better if I were your Lord. And the Bible indicates that one-third of the angels followed that new voice. Now, keep in mind the whole reason that Jude is saying this. Jude is saying this because in the end days, there will be voices that want to persuade you to go the other, another way. That's exactly what happened to the angels. And we found in verse number six that when those angels decided that they were going to take another path, another way, follow another leader, that God knew it. God judged them for it. In fact, look there in verse number six. He says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great... They didn't get away with it. The, the Jewish nation didn't get away with it. The angels didn't get away with it. Preacher, what are we looking at tonight? We're looking at the third of the Old Testament examples. Look there in verse 7. Even as... Do you know the third example that he raises here is the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? In fact, he says there in verse number 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. We know at the very end of verse 7, he talks about them suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, in this whole thing, you have to keep in your mind, why is Jude even talking about this? You know, we're going to look tonight, if you're taking notes, uh, my, my title is this, Why Are Believers Warned? by Sodom and Gomorrah. Why are believers warned by Sodom and Gomorrah? You can put a bookmark if you wouldn't, Jude, we're going to get back to that. But look there if you would in Genesis chapter number 13. Genesis chapter number 13. Now, if you're like me, a few of you might be, 
Whenever you hear the mention of those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, maybe there's something inside that goes, <laughs> maybe there's something inside that says wicked. Maybe there's something inside that says evil. Maybe that's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear of Sodom and Gomorrah. Could I suggest to you that they, all, they weren't always like that? In fact, look here at Genesis 13, verse 10. The Bible says, and Lot, uh, uh, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like unto the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. I know that before God rained down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that at that point they had become a very wicked cities. They had become very evil cities. Uh, we know that they, they gave themselves over to all kinds of wicked practices. We understand that. But you know what? Sodom and Gomorrah were not always like that. Look again at verse number 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan. That's where Sodom and Gomorrah was. That it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. That's the Garden of Eden. Do you know that Sodom and Gomorrah were not always wicked cities? Pastor, what's happening here? If you remember at the beginning of Genesis 13, in fact, look there in verse number 1. Genesis 13, 1, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. We know that in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all that he had. He went down into Egypt. We know he went down there because there was a famine in the land. And while he was down there, Abraham accumulated so much more, and his nephew Lot so much more. Well, in Genesis 13, verse 1, they decided to come back to the land that they were supposed to stay at. When they came back, look at the condition of Abraham, verse number 2. The Bible says, And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. So when Abram and his wife and his servants, when they moved back, they were wealthy people. Not only was Abraham wealthy, but his nephew Lot was also wealthy. Look at there in Genesis 13, 5. And Lot also, which went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. Abraham and his nephew, when they came back from Egypt into Canaan, they were, they were rich people. They had everything you could ever imagine. They had so much that there was a contention between Abram and his servants and Lot and his servants. So there was strife between these two believers. And that was a bad testimony. Folks, if, if you don't get along with another Christian... That is not a good thing for this world to see. It had become such a bad testimony. Look there in verse number 7. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. And that's just saying that the Canaanite saw that. And the Perizzite saw that. 
And look what Abraham decides. Verse 8, And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Look what Abraham suggested. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. So Abraham says to Lot, this isn't good. This isn't good. You and I have so much. What are we fighting over? Goodness me, listen, Lot, listen. We just have to separate. If we can't get along, then we're going to have to get along a distance apart. And he says to Lot, he said, Lot, if you pick one way, then I'll go the other. And Lot, if you pick that way, I'll go the other. Lot, you decide. So you know what Lot does? Lot looks, uh, I suppose Lot looks at the region to the north. And he takes an estimation of the northern land. And then Lot looks to the west. And he makes an estimation whether that would be the best to choose. And then Lot looks to the south and wonders maybe that's the place to go. And then Lot looked to the east. The east was the well-watered plains of Jordan. So it's the land on both sides of what we know as the Jordan River. And Lot looked to the east, and Lot decided that is the best place that I could go. I'm trying to say, if you're taking notes, why are believers warned by Sodom and Gomorrah? First, if you'd write this down, Sodom and Gomorrah once enjoyed great blessings. Sodom and Gomorrah once enjoyed great blessings. Listen, Lot didn't pick the east because it was the worst. Lot picked the east because it was the best. Lot pointed his feet and his heart that direction because it was so evident that God had blessed that land. I would say to you that the cities were not average cities as far as appearance and as far as God blessing, but they were above average. How can you say that, preacher? Because Lot determined that that direction looked better than that direction. And Lot determined that that direction was so much better than that direction. And Lot determined that that direction was so much better. I'm saying to you, that was the best of the land. Not only was that the best of the land, but, uh, and the very best of the cities. You know what that proves? That proves that you can live in the very best place that there is. And that is no guarantee that you won't apostatize. Hold on to that truth. It'll make some more sense of that. I want you to, just for a moment... Notice how long it took for the best to become the worst. Some of you have dates on the top of your page, and don't know all do. Can anyone give me a, a date for Genesis 13 and verse 10? Anyone got a date there? 1918, some others have 1920. So we'll take somewhere right in there. I have 1920, so it's got to be right. 1920, I'm kidding with you. Okay, by the time Sodom went bad, that's Genesis 19. So turn quickly, keep Genesis 13, but look at Genesis 19. Genesis chapter number 19, 
Can uh, someone give me a date for the top of Genesis 19? 1898 B.C. Help me. How many years between 18... In the B.C.s, they remember they're going lower and lower. Between 1898 B.C. and 1920 B.C. How many years is that? 22 years. You know, sometimes we think our generation is safe. Look at, look at the walk that we have with God. Folks, it didn't take another generation before Sodom went bad. It went bad in the same generation. Lot wasn't talking about when his dad's people lived. It was so good. But now in the next generation, when my people live, it's so, Lot, Lot, wasn't, Lot said, I remember a day in my life where I lived in a place that experienced the blessings of God. And by Genesis 19, that had completely changed. You know, you can have the best of homes, but that does not exclude you from apostasy. You can have the best of families, but that doesn't exclude you from the possibility of apostasy. You could have the best paying job. You, you, could, you could be the most handsome. Ladies, you could be the most beautiful. You could have the most talent. You could, live, you could be part of the greatest church. But none of those things will prevent you from the possibility of apostasy. And I say that by the examples of Sodom and Gomorrah. First of all, if you haven't written it, write this. Sodom and Gomorrah once enjoyed great blessings. Their turning bad wasn't spread over two generations. It happened in the same generation. It had been great in Lot's lifetime, and it became wicked later in Lot's lifetime. Not only was the cities above average, could I suggest to you that the people that were moving that direction were above average people? Now stick with me. When Lot was moving that direction, Lot was a believer. Lot hadn't been raised as a heathen. Lot wasn't a denier of God. Lot had the same faith. He held to the same faith that his uncle Abraham did. So when Lot moved into Sodom, uh, Lot was a man of faith. He wasn't a God denier. Uh, we know that Lot, look there if you are in Genesis 19, if you haven't lost it, verse number 1. Genesis 19 and verse 1, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Do you know that term, sat in the gate? And throughout the scriptures, that's a statement of where the decisions of that city were made. We, we'd call it town council. So Lot is on the town council of the city of Sodom. Listen, he's not a low-lifer. He is a good man. He is a believing man. He is a man of faith when he moved in. I'm saying to you that this city of Sodom one time enjoyed the great blessings of God. 
And if you and I, uh, if we are enjoying great blessings of God, of course the warning is that that does not prevent you from apostasy. Could I remind you again why Jude is writing this? Jude is saying that the churches before the Lord's return, they can be the greatest of churches. They can have the greatest of people in those churches. They can evidence the blessing of God about things. They can evidence the blessing of God about people. They can evidence the blessing of God about the spirit in those churches. But to have a great church yesterday is no guarantee that you'll still have a great church tomorrow. Sodom is an example of a city that enjoyed great blessings of God. I give you a second thing that we learn. Uh, look there if you would. Now you can let go of Genesis. Look there in 2 Peter. 2 Peter, right near the end of the Bible. First uh, and Second Peter, First and Second, Third John, Jude. So Second Peter, chapter two. Do you know what might be that as people look around, they say, your family is the best family that there is. That's a compliment. It might be that as people look around, they say, your house, boy, it's the nicest house of anyone that I know. It might be that people, when they look around, say, your job is a top-paying job. Your wealth that you've accumulated is more than anyone around your Bible knowledge is the best of anyone's knowledge of the Scriptures. Your ministry talents are better than anybody around. Uh, all of those are compliments. Just like Sodom could be complimented on how God blessed them. It didn't stay that way. Look there in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 6. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, the Bible says, "...in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that should live ungodly." So I am suggesting to you that there was a time where Sodom was a great city. In fact, I would suggest there was a time where it was the greatest of cities. It evidenced the touch of God, the blessing of God. But somebody in that city, it started somewhere, somebody in that city got tired of living the godly life. They had been doing it for a long time. Maybe they were a second or a third generation, what we would call believer. But they got tired of living a godly life. So they began in secret to do things that God would call ungodly. No one knew it. No one saw it. Now, out in the open, these people looked like anyone else looked. They looked like a believer that loved God, served God. But somebody, somewhere, secretly began to practice something that was ungodly in that city. Well, it was a great city. Living in a great city does not prevent you or me from secretly doing something that's ungodly. Being in a great church does not prevent anybody in that church 
from secretly doing that which is ungodly. And so if you'd write the second thing that we learn about Sodom. Uh, the second thing is someone in Sodom and Gomorrah began to secretly live ungodly. Again, someone in Sodom and Gomorrah began to secretly live ungodly. You say, preacher, how do you get that out of verse 6? Look again at verse 6. The reason that God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, it says at the very end of verse 6, uh, uh, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Someone started to live an ungodly life. Now, I, I don't want to stop long, but I need to stop here. The measurement of you is not what people see on the outside. The measurement of you is what you do when no one else is around. The books you read. Oh, well, you'll hide it when someone comes by. The websites that you visit. Oh, you'll make sure that no one is there to see it. That's the true measure of what's happening in your heart. The conversations that you have. The pictures that you look at. So though Sodom was a blessed city, likely blessed visually above everything else that was around it, somebody secretly began to participate in something that was ungodly. Well, you know what? Ungodly people, they are looking for a fellowship in what they do. And eventually it starts to come out. You can't keep that kind of attitude from coming out public. And they might have kept up that godly image publicly might be they never missed church. If there was church there, it might be they never missed prayer. might be that they were a part of ministry. Yet behind closed doors, they began to say and do things that they knew would be frowned upon by others. And that's why they did them secretly. But uh, not long before those kind of secret sinners begin to drop little hints. Now, the body language is a big deal. You say, well, Pastor, I've not said anything wrong. Your body speaks volumes. Your posture speaks volumes. Your eyes tell a great tale. And uh, if someone's a rebel in heart, oftentimes it starts with such little things, a slouch. <laughs> are you again slouching? No, I do a lot of slouching. But there are times where slouching is a statement that your heart is not in it. And a sassy word. It's not a slouch or a sassy word. Sometimes that heart uh, is shown off by a sloppy outfit or a skimpy outfit or a sneering at a commitment to God. Now, if your heart's right with God, you pick that stuff up. And if your heart's right with that, when you pick that up and see that in another believer, you know what you do? You just kind of back away. You know, I can't keep company with that person or they'll mess me up too. But you know, as much as believers can see and they can read that kind of thing, do you know other rebels can read that too? I mean, I'm just seeing it at a teen conference or a teen camp. Uh, there'll be a rebel will come from a church and, boy, it's not long before he's founded like-minded rebels. And you know what happened in Sodom? A place that experienced the blessing of God 
somebody somewhere secretly began to deny the lordship of God, well, they kept doing it, but they didn't want to do it. They dropped little hints. And others in Sodom that were of the same mindset that didn't like this old-fashioned faith, boy, they began to gravitate together. And it wasn't long before there was an uprising in Sodom. Though there was an element of those that still wanted to enjoy the blessings of God, there was now an uprising of a new element. And that new element didn't want the God way. As soon as you have enough in numbers, now you can go from doing it secretly. And you can now become open in your defiance to God. In fact, that's exactly what happened here in this city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look there, if you would, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, And delivered just Lot. Now that word just, it's not only Lot, because we know those angels delivered Lot's wife, two children. That word just is justified. There was something about Lot who lived in that city that before God, Lot was a justified man. We'd say saved. We'd say redeemed. Do you know we never picked that up when you read Genesis? You would not know. If the only record of Lot was Genesis, you wouldn't even know that that man in his heart had been justified before God. But when we get to 2 Peter, we're told that. Now watch what happens when in the city of Sodom you have an uprising of rebels. You have an uprising of a new voice. We no longer want God to be our Lord. We no longer want God to call the shots. Uh, look there at uh, what happened in 2 Peter 2.7. The Bible says, And delivered just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Sometimes conversation is the words that we say. Sometimes conversation represents our whole life. And this righteous man, Lot, he began to be vexed by what he saw. That means it's no longer secret. That means this rebellion towards God has now become open. It bothered him. He was vexed by the conversation of these that had now become public in their defiance. Uh, we not only read that in verse number 7, but look at the very next verse, verse 8. For that righteous man, that's Lot, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing. All I'm trying to say is Sodom and Gomorrah once enjoyed great blessings of God. But somewhere, somebody began to be dissatisfied. In their, we don't like it this way. We don't want God to run our lives anymore. We want to do our own thing. And so, but they started out secretly. But in their secrecy of their rebellion against God, boy, they attracted someone else that was like-minded, and someone else that was like-minded, someone else that was like-minded. Before long, there was now a group of them that had that same thought. We don't want God to run our lives. And when they were convinced that they had enough, then they became open in that rebellion. 
and then they became open in their defiance. When Lot saw what they did, and when Lot heard what they said, it vexed him. It bothered him. It annoyed him. It grieved him. Uh, we've seen so far tonight, we've seen first Sodom and Gomorrah once enjoyed great blessings. Secondly, someone in Sodom and Gomorrah began to secretly live ungodly. And again, let me bring this warning to the bottom shelf. Even if your family is the best that there is, if somebody in that family begins to secretly uh, live an ungodly life, that great family won't be a great family very long. Even if, uh, if your home is looked at as the nicest, your job is the envy of all others, even if your Bible knowledge is outstanding, even if your ministry talents are greater than anyone else, even if your church is the envy of people in other churches, if there is somebody that's in that church that is secretly practicing ungodliness, folks, that's going to affect the whole rest of the church. And again, it, it, it starts secretly. But when they have convinced themselves we have enough comrades in our deeds, it comes open. I give you a third thing. You're there in 2 Peter, look in verse number 7 again. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says, And delivered just lot, vex, uh, sorry, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Uh, do you know this third thing that uh, we learn here? Pastor, at least Lot wasn't doing those wicked things. Can't we commend Lot for at least he wasn't doing those things? Maybe. But you know, because Lot was silent, when these voices became loud, his silence contributed to the problems that Sodom had. He was silent. No, he didn't like it. He didn't agree with that. But he was silent to it. Now, again, keep in mind why Jude is saying this. Jude is saying in the end time, there will be old-fashioned churches that are simply doing what was handed down for the faith. And there will be people in those churches. They don't like it. They don't want to do it. You can't show me Bible for it. No, I could show you a hundred years of God-blessing churches for it. And so there's going to be this uprising. You know what the flesh wants to do? Let's be silent. Let's not rock the boat. Well, it's a new generation. Let's just let them air their grievances. That's exactly what Lot did. 
You understand, sin starts as a minority. But if sin is allowed to go unchecked, sin becomes the majority. And it was because Lot, though he was vexed with what he saw, though he was vexed with what he heard, he remained silent. Did his remaining silent help that city? No. It only hurt it. If, if you'd write this third thing down, staying quiet in Sodom and Gomorrah's change bore a heavy price. Staying quiet in Sodom and Gomorrah's change bore a heavy price. Hey, preacher, why do you suppose Lot remained silent? I think there was a number of reasons. First of all, he had a good-paying job. He sat in town council. And if he's going to rock the boat, he might lose his job. Do you know some people stay silent in the face of sin because it's going to affect their employment, because it's going to affect their job, because it's going to affect their income. Pastor, why do you suppose Lot remained silent? Uh, by, by a certain point, you know that Lot had two older daughters who got married. And they married unbelievers. And maybe Lot thought to himself, well, if I stand up and speak against this, I'm going to rock the boat with my sons-in-law. And I don't want to create trouble with my own family. So I'd best just stay silent to keep peace in the family. Did him staying silent and keep peace in the family, did that gain the respect of those sons-in-law? Not at all. Later in Genesis 9, they're making fun of him. They're calling him a fool. Maybe he not only stayed silent to protect his job, to protect his income, maybe not only he stayed silent just to keep peace in the family, Folks, maybe he just stayed silent to keep his friends. Because no one wants to stand alone. You're an odd duck if, if, if you're happy standing alone. Nobody wants to stand alone. And maybe he calculated, if I raise my voice about this, I'm going to stand all alone in this whole city, and, and, and I don't want to do that. Pastor, why else do you suppose uh, Lot remains silent? Maybe he didn't want others to think he was a kook. <laughs> Maybe he didn't want others to think he was fanatic. Maybe he wanted to be accepted by his peers. And maybe saying nothing was just the easy road to take. And folks, it is. Saying nothing when they're in the face of voices that want to take you down a new path of sin and take you away the old path that has been passed down for generations. No one wants to get in a scrap with people. I'm saying to you, his choice to be silent between Genesis 13 and Genesis 19 didn't help at all. And again, in the perspective of this verse in the book of Jude, Jude said, I'm telling you, as we get closer to the return of the Lord, there will be an uprising of voices that want to take churches away from that old time-tested path. And Judah's saying, you can't stay silent. You have to speak up. You have to put your foot down. And again, they're going to come up with objections that you have never even heard about before. Silence is not the answer.
So far, we've seen one, Sodom and Gomorrah, once enjoyed great blessings. Secondly, someone in Sodom and Gomorrah began to secretly live ungodly. Third, staying quiet in Sodom and Gomorrah's change bore a heavy price. Could I say, even if your family is the best that there is, when rebellion raises its head in your home, you can't stay silent. You might have the nicest of job, the most of wealth. You might have the most Bible knowledge, the greatest of ministry talents. You might have the greatest church around and people look forward to visiting your church. But when the voices in that church want to take you a different way, your temptation is to be silent. You know why you'll stay silent? It could affect your job. You know why you'll stay silent? It could affect your family relations. You know why you'll stay silent? Because those that you have counted your friends for a long time might cease to be your friends. But silence is not going to help it. Silence is only going to hurt the situation. And uh, lest someone think Jude's warning is a little extreme or unnecessary, I want you to consider again, look there, uh, keep your hand in 2 Peter, you're going to need it in a minute. But uh, right after that, look there in the book of Jude. 2 Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude. Jude. You know, look there in Jude, verse 7. Uh, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example. Do you know, he raises this whole issue of Sodom and Gomorrah to give us an example of what happens when God's people stay silent in, the, in a situation where someone's trying to turn its hour. Saved people are going to be told that the most degrading sins are now acceptable. They're not acceptable. They're going to be told that premarital sex and extramarital sex and homosexual acts are now acceptable. Uh, They'll be told this by people who love Hollywood movies and spend their time endlessly on TV and listening to national music. People that don't have any time to read their Bible, but they spend all their time in media. Those are the people that say, why don't you just keep your mouth closed? We just want to do it a little bit differently than has been handed down to us from generate. That is not the time to stay silent. And when somebody comes to you and say, it's time to change, you need to stand back for a minute and look at the lives of those that are telling you it's time to change. Are they examples of people that walk with God? Are they examples of people that are in their Bible? Are they examples of people that lead the way? If they're not great Christian examples, it's time to turn the channel. (laughs) It's time to turn their voice off. It's time to stop listening to them. I'm saying if you don't, there's a heavy cost. It's always the voices of those that have endless time for the world and have little time for God. 
Boy, they'd go to a sports event. I'm not against sports events. But they'd go to a sports event and they would pray for triple overtime. They can't get enough of that game. But if the preaching goes overtime, somebody has to talk to that pastor. <laughs> he won't listen. But somebody has to talk to that pastor. I'm telling you, there's something wrong when somebody wants to change what faith that we have been given and passed down to us. And when someone comes to you and says, I think it's time that Golden Plains Baptist Church changes, stop right there for a minute. Look at the life of the person that's saying that. Are they the kind that you would hold up to your children and say, I want you to become just like that? Pastor, not really. Then it's time to plug your ears. If they're calling you with those suggestions, hang up. If they're texting you with those proposed changes, block the text. If it's social media, now I'm outside of my field of understanding. If it's social media, if it's Facebook, if it's, uh, I ran out, whatever it is. You say, oh, preacher, I, I want to keep them as my friend. That's why they keep shoveling that trash into your ears. And it's time for you to stop being silent. And it's time for you to say, you know what? I don't buy into your nonsense. I don't want your kind of a carnal, carnality in Christianity. I want that old-fashioned stuff. I want that stuff that Spurgeon and Moody. I want that kind of Christianity that R.A. Torrey had. I want the John Wesley kind. I, I, I want the old-fashioned kind, because I'm not really impressed with your kind. I've seen enough of your kind, but you're going to have to stop your ears, because you're just going to be a casualty. Listen, if, if one person in Sodom began to live an ungodly life in secret, how did the entire city go that way? They went that way because they didn't want to lose their friends. They didn't want to take a stand. They just want to keep their job. They didn't want to offend anybody. Have you ever thought you're offending God? Because it's God that's given you this faith that he's now asking you to earnestly contend for. I give you the last thing. Look there, if you would, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. The Bible says there, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. You know, lest anyone should think that the evil matters of Sodom and Gomorrah are only recorded in a couple of places. You see, a preacher, we read about Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 13. We read about Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. Pastor, we read about Sodom and Gomorrah, 2 Peter 2. Preacher, we read about Sodom and Gomorrah in Jude. Pastor, is it just four places? Folks, we won't turn to it for the sake of time, but there are at least ten other books that talk about, in the Bible, that talk about what Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, we read it in Deuteronomy, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel. God talks about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in Amos and Zephaniah, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Paul talks about it in Romans. 
There's no question whatsoever that the God of the Bible is opposed to what happened in Sodom. Now, you know what? You back the clock up 40 years ago, 50 maybe, and if you said that there will be coming a day where adultery is acceptable, a man having relations with a woman, not his wife, 50 years ago, people would have said never. That is wrong to do. Well, we're long past that now. If you backed up and said maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, homosexuality, a man with a man, a woman with a woman would be acceptable, you would have said never. Do you know what happens? What happens is when good men are silent, bad men prevail. It once was a good Sodom. It once was a great Sodom. And it started with one secretly. It wasn't long before that one found another like-minded rebel. And two found three, and three found four, and four found ten, and ten found twenty. Someone is trying to get into your head, and they're trying to plant seeds of dissatisfaction in your heart for the old-fashioned faith. And that's not the time to say silent. Very last thing I give you, if you'd write this down, standing up against such things in the church is the Bible's way. Again, standing up against such things in the church is the Bible's way. Now, I'm not going to be here forever, and you aren't either, but we do have a next generation coming up. We have children, we have grandchildren. If you're silent to the changing woes of people, what are our children going to have? What are our grandchildren going to have? You know, the Bible way is to stand up. Stand up against them. Stand up and say no. Stand up and say, I won't be a part of that. It says there that God uses Sodom and Gomorrah as an example. Do you know, it's interesting in the judgment, it's not just Sodom and Gomorrah that were judged. They were probably the worst of those cities. But the Bible says in Jude and other cities about them, you may not have taken the sin to the same extent that others have, but God will judge you just the same as being a participant in that sin. Do you know, in the judgment, it was not only the men who sinned that perished, but the sympathizers of those sins that perished. God destroyed all of Sodom and Gomorrah. Pastor, do you believe that every single person in that city was involved in all of those things? I don't think every single one. But somehow their heart lend itself to being a sympathizer. You cannot be a sympathizer to a rebel. You can pray for them, you can fast for them, but you cannot help them in the rebellion. God destroyed a whole city. You know, in the judgment... Not only the men and women perished, but the property perished. And, and it's a strange thing. Most people are more worried about things than they are about people. Most people get more worried about things being destroyed than about people being destroyed. Every Christian's safety comes by standing against such things. You know, God hasn't changed his plan. 
God's plan is still one man marrying one woman for the rest of their lives. The Lord approves of intimate relations only between a husband and his wife, no other. Adultery that someone that's not married to not that's that's condemned through the scriptures. And the fact that God listed them as sins in the Bible means God knew that people would do them. Now, I want you to get this. Look there, if you would, in Jude, and I'm just about done. Jude, verse 7. That's where we started. Jude and verse 7. Could I put to rest this notion? Again, we're talking about sodomy. We are being indoctrinated that some people were born that way. That is not true. Look there in Jude verse 7. Jude verse number 7. The Bible says, uh, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. Somewhere along that way, they made that choice. And folks, people somewhere in their life are making those kind of wicked choices. Now, as parents, we need to do everything we can to keep them away from that kind of influence. So whether it's that influence in a church, whether it's this free willing, you can do whatever you want, God doesn't have to run your life, whether it's that influence in your life, when you detect somebody in the church that's trying to throw off all of the authority that God wants in their life. That's who Jude is warning against. When there's someone in a church that's sympathetic to homosexuality, that's the person that Jude is warning about in the church. When you find someone that participates in it, when you find someone that's sympathetic toward it, when you find someone that would actually march in that crowd to support it, that's the person in the church that you need to be careful of. It started with one. Imagine how the story of Sodom and Gomorrah would change if there were believers that screamed when the one came out of the closet. Folks, someone stopped screaming. To keep friends, to keep their job, to, to, to keep peace in the home. And I'm saying the Bible way is to simply stand, stand for what's right. You know, Lot thought that he could be a better friend by being silent to the sins around him. But you know, God destroyed all those people that committed those sins. And God destroyed that place where those sins were considered acceptable. Lot did not improve the city. Lot did not convert anyone by going with the flow. Lot became so compromised that his testimony was a joke. Lot became so entangled that he didn't even want to leave that city. In fact, Lot had to be told to leave by those angels. In fact, they took him and they dragged him out of that place. Lot would have said, I will never approve of that thing. Then why are they having such a hard time getting you out of the city? 
You cannot be a sympathizer to rebels who are wanting to take you another way. Lot, uh, in uh, her heart, Lot's wife desired that crowd more than she desired her husband and two unmarried children. And when it was all done, Lot's unmarried children chose to do just about the most disgusting of sins and thought it was okay. Preacher, can anyone that's involved in homosexuality, could they ever get out of it? They sure could. We don't have time to look at it. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. Paul talked about the Corinthians, he said, he talked about what they were. One of those words in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 is effeminate. That's that homosexual crowd. In verse 10, Paul said, such were some of you. But now you're washed. But now you're sanctified. Yes, you can get out of it. But if you do, you change. Now again, let's go back to where we started and then we're done. Jude is writing that before the Lord returns, there will be old-fashioned churches that have simply continued with the faith that they were handed to by previous generations. But in those churches will be voices that have a mission to change what that church does. We need to start accepting this. And, and we need to stop preaching against this. And we need to start allowing this. And we need to forget having such high expectations. And Jude says, when one voice like that is heard, God's answer is to stand out. God's answer is to say no. God's answer is you can take that philosophy somewhere else. Thank you very much. Not here. We're not changing. We're staying the same. Richard, why would God use Sodom and Gomorrah to warn Christians? Because at one time they enjoyed the great blessings of God. Someone got tired of that old-fashioned living. Oh, first their tiredom was secret. They found other like-minded rebels. And soon they went open with this new agenda. That's not the time to be silent. That's the time to lift up your voice. That's the time to say not here. See, Lot should have raised up his voice against it. But he didn't. And he embraced that stuff so long that finally when it was time for him to leave because Sodom had turned so bad, he didn't even want to leave. And folks, you don't want that to happen in your home. You don't want that to happen in your church. And if there are voices that are trying to tell you it's time to change, this is the answer. This is the answer or you'll be another casualty in that. Let's pray. Father, we have really addressed the third of three examples that Jude gave from the Old Testament. First one, the nation of Israel, God saved from Egypt, but afterward, how many of them made bad choices, never did get into the promised land. They missed that place of victory. The angels at one time enjoyed the presence of God in heaven, Someone one day said, it could be better for you if you followed me instead. And now Sodom and Gomorrah, 
that once enjoyed the blessings of God, but it started with one, went to two, went to four, went to eight, went to 20, went to 50, went to 100. And when they thought they had enough that they could go public, good people were silent and bad people prevailed. Lord, there's always a push to give in, to give over, to give up. I pray you'd help God's people to say, Lord, you told us to earnestly contend for our faith. Help me to be one of those people.